tonight to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, before we read our text while you're turning there, let me just make a few remarks related to the message tonight. I was just thinking this afternoon as I sat and meditated about what I was going to preach, why it is that we hear so little today about holiness. It's not a hot topic, is it? I mean, even whenever we talk about God, we hear a lot more about God's love than we do about God's holiness. Although holiness is God's chief attribute. It is the only attribute that's elevated to the third degree. The Bible says, holy, holy, holy. It never says love, 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 or faithful, faithful, faithful. The only attribute elevated to the third degree is that of holiness, His chief attribute, and yet we hear much more about uh, about other attributes uh, of God than we do about His holiness. And, and I can't help but wonder why it is. I've got an idea. I don't know that it's true, but I've got an idea that maybe it's because that we benefit from God's love, and we realize that, and we think about God's love providing His Son, who provided our salvation, who delivers us from our sin, secures us a home in heaven. And even whenever we're talking about God, we have a tendency to do all of this always in the context of of us. And sometimes I'm afraid we make it more about us than we do about God. We just inject God in the conversation just because it relates to us. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to speak about God and what God has done for us. We ought to do that. We ought to never forget that. But I think there's something that's terribly wrong whenever we put all of the emphasis on the attributes that relate to what God does for us rather than the attributes that speak about who God is. God is holy, and we just seem to totally ignore that sometimes. I don't know of anything that's more sickening than hearing someone who doesn't know anything about God talk as though they know everything about God. You know, it's real easy to do for some folks to get a few years of Bible college and think all of a sudden, because I've gone to Bible college now, I'm a theologian. And it's real easy for us to, you know, try to put God in a box and, you know, I mean, we've got it all figured out and God can't do this and God can't do that. And and then God does something to surprise all of us. So in in thinking about that, what we need to understand is that it is absolutely essential that we focus and that we understand that God is a holy God, that He is good, He is perfect in all of His ways, because that answers a lot of questions. You know, whenever we think about, uh, as I spoke this morning, about our struggles, well, you know, we think about the negative things of life, the painful things of life, and all of that. 
And even in, in, in all of those experiences that we would rather escape, we need to remember that it is a holy God who causes or allows all of those things to happen. He doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't owe anyone any apologies. He doesn't have to go to anybody for counsel. I mean, he already knows it all, and we need to understand that he is a holy God. But tonight, our main focus is not so much, even though it includes God's holiness, it's not so much God's holiness, which we could talk about for hours, but I want to talk about our need of holiness and uh, that's exactly what Peter is speaking about. First Peter chapter number 1, and let's pick up our reading in verse number 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because as it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were, were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Most people want to be happy. Most people want to be healthy. You know, those are, I think, aspirations of just about everybody, and a lot of people will go to almost any length in order to achieve their goal. But God has something even better than good health and better than human happiness in mind, and that is the matter of holiness. God wants us to be a holy people. His purpose is for us to be like Christ. Somebody says, well, I hear that you don't believe in predestination. Well, I surely do. The Bible teaches predestination. But the Bible doesn't teach anything about predestinating people to go to heaven or hell. The Bible tells us that predestination is, according to Romans 8 and verse number 29, where it says God has predestinated us that we be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what God is predetermined. That's what God is working toward. If you want to know what God's trying to do in our lives, He is shaping us and forming us, transforming us into the likeness of His own dear Son. The word holy means to be separated. It means to set apart. We, we talk about something being sanctified, for example, and comes from the same, basic, the same word, sanctified or holy. And we talk about this pulpit being sanctified. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I, I say that, and uh, naturally we, we, we use it, sing, stand behind it and sing or preach. But there are places, I, in fact, I pastored one church where, uh, the, the song leader always stood way out here. And uh, I told him one day, I said, uh, no, he didn't. He got over by the piano, wasn't it? He'll help me out. Over by the piano. 
And I told him, I said, why don't you get over there behind the pulpit where everybody in all parts of the room can see you? He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, you don't understand. The pulpit is reserved for preaching. That, you know, he said, my daddy would skin me alive uh, if, I, if I got away from that piano. And that's just the way they did things there. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, this is sanctified in that we don't use it uh, as a workbench. For example, you know, it's reserved for a special purpose. And even so it is with every child of God, we are not at liberty to do whatever we want to do with our life, but rather we are to be separated unto the Lord. We belong to Him. He purchased us. And the result of that is that He wants to use our life in a manner that's pleasing in His sight. So when we talk about when we talk about being holy, we're, we're not talking about something that is all external, for example. Because if we just have an external holiness, that, you know, that becomes a legalism. And by that I mean that if we have to do certain things, act certain ways, uh, in, order to, in order to satisfy God, if our salvation depends on what we do, that, that, that's nothing but legalism. And it all depends on us instead of God. On the other hand, if, if holiness is nothing more than something that is inward and has no outward ramification, that is fanaticism. I mean, we're fanatics to think that, oh, well, you know, so, and I've heard people say about somebody might be the biggest drunk in the county. Well, I know he's a drunkard, but boy, he has a good heart. No, no, he's got a dirty, rotten, evil heart, and that's why he does what he does. When we talk about holiness, holiness has to do with what we are inwardly and what we are outwardly. And that's why whenever Paul was uh, praying for the church at Thessalonica, he prayed that their whole body, soul, and spirit would be sanctified. And here we see Christ is our example. He is holy. He's harmless. He's undefiled. He's separate from sinners, the Bible says. And yet at the same time, he is a friend of sinners. So he is our example. Now, whenever we think about holiness, I want to give you four reasons tonight why we need to be holy. Four reasons that Peter alludes to in these verses. Look at verse 13 again, because here we see that we ought to be holy uh, as a result of our expectation of the Lord's coming. Notice what he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, and be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you. Now, notice this, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible's telling us the Lord is going to come in the clouds of the air and the dead in Christ are going to rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. The Lord is coming back. There's going to be a revealing of the Lord in that day. And in the light of His coming, you and I need to, to be holy. Our mind controls our actions. In other words, what we believe affects how we behave. If we've got our beliefs right and we're sincere in our beliefs, then our behavior is going to be right also. If we really believe that Jesus Christ could come at 
any moment. Now think about that. I know we all say, oh yeah, sure he could. That's what, you know, the Bible talks, he'll come in an hour when you least expect it, you know, and, uh, uh, so, so he, he could even come tonight and we realize that. But I'm not so sure we're really convinced that he could, that he actually might even come tonight before this service ends. And we need to live in the light of that reality. Because if we really believe that, it's going to affect how we behave. Turn over just a couple of pages to 1 John chapter number 3. And I want you to notice here in verse 3 of chapter 3. And uh, in verse 2, he points out the fact that now we are the sons of God. And he says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear. That's what we're talking about. He shall appear. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So if we really truly believe that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment, it's going to affect the way that we live. Our manner of life will be changed. You know, it's kind of like a kid. If I knew Mama was watching, there's certain things I wouldn't do. Uh, I've told the story before about, you know, coming home from school and, and uh, telling Mom about all, all of those filthy mouth boys down there at the school. I said, Mom, you just won't believe all of the words they say. They, oh, they just cuss and cuss and cuss. And uh, it so happened in, in front of the school we had a hedge about yay tall. And there was a little, little, yeah, little, you already got the picture, a little, the little neighborhood market right across the street from the school. And so that's where mom would go, walk down there to buy some groceries. And I was in school and uh, she walked by and she heard one of those little filthy mouth boys just cussing a blue streak. And she said, I thought the voice sounded familiar. And so she got up there and parted the head just well. Uh, you know the rest of the story. I, I, I was caught but if I, look, if I knew my mother was looking, there's certain things, you know, I wouldn't do. And that was one of them. And, and so just knowing that she's watching what I do made all of the difference in the world. Listen, knowing that Christ could come back at any moment has an effect on where I go and what I do, how I behave. I mean, I don't want the Lord coming back and, you know, to be sitting on a bar stool somewhere or doing something else that's wrong. That ought to be motivation enough for us to seek to live a life of holiness. But that's not the only motivation. I want you to notice, beginning in verse number 14, the second reason why we need to be holy is the expression of His character. Now, notice what He says, verse 14, "...as obedient children..." Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy. Now, don't miss that. He that called you is holy. Because of that, he says, be holy. Verse 16, because it is written, be ye holy. Why? Notice what he says, for I am holy. In other words, we ought to be holy because it reflects God's character. And if we're going to win others to Christ, it's absolutely essential that they see Christ in us. I'm afraid that too many times we give people a distorted view of what Christ is like. 
You know, they draw conclusions about Him. They develop beliefs about Him based on what we do. They look at us and we claim to be a Christian and we're doing this and we're doing that, things that we shouldn't do or we've got a bad attitude or whatever it is. And so as they look at us, finally, you know, they scratch their head and come to the conclusion, well, you know, there's really not any difference between them and me except, you know, they go to church and they say they're a Christian. But as far as everything else, you know, uh, there's not any difference in And in reality, there is a big difference. And our behavior needs to reflect that fact. Notice in verse 15 here, we are to be holy in all our manner of conversation. That is, in all of our manner of life, in all of our ways, in our daily deportment is the idea. And as we walk in the things that we do, he says we're to be holy in all manner of conversation. So, so that includes every area of our life. You, you see, there, there's no wall between what is sacred, sacred and what is secular there. There's not a line where, you know, this is, this is okay and that's not okay and, and, and so forth. It's all holy ground as far as we're concerned. That means that whether you're on the job at work or whether you're at home or whether you're here in the church, the same rules apply that govern your life. We're to be on our best behavior everywhere we are. It makes no difference. Every area of our life. And this is what he's saying in all manner of conversation. And now notice in verse 16 where God, it's as though God is setting himself up as the role model. And he says, be ye holy, for I am holy. So we first must perceive the holiness of God. And that's why I started where I did in the message tonight, talking about how important it is that we understand that God is holy. Is God a God of love? Absolutely. Is God faithful? Absolutely. Is God omniscient? Absolutely. Is God omnipotent? Absolutely. Talk about all of those attributes of God. But if you don't understand that God is a holy God, you're going to end up thirsting confused about who God is and what God expects. So we've got to understand that God is a holy God. And so God says, look, here, I am the model. I am the example. He says, I am holy. So first, we have to perceive the holiness of God, and then we have to pursue the holiness of God. He says, I want you to be holy because I am holy. So we first perceive His holiness, then we pursue our holiness, and then we project that holiness to others. We talk about being a Christian, and we talk about reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ to others. And you remember he, he said that you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. And you think about what a great responsibility that is, that we are to bring light to those that are in darkness. We are to be as salt to the world. And so we have a responsibility. We're not to be like monks in a monastery, you know, to where we just uh, we just tuck ourselves in and separate ourselves from the rest of the world and, and, and what have you. You know, that, that, that doesn't impress God at all. I mean, that doesn't make us worth anything in the kingdom of God. He expects us 
He expects us to be rubbing shoulders with the world, as it were, in the sense that as he was a friend to sinners, you and I are to come into contact with those that, that he puts into our life, but we're always to do so in the context of being there as a witness for them. So we ought to be holy. Why? Because it has to do with reflecting what God is to those that are ignorant of His holiness, ignorant of His saving grace. But now look at verse 17, and here's the third reason. And that is that we ought to be holy because of the examination, the examination that takes place at His coming. And He says here, And if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear. In other words, when Christ returns, we all have to give an account of ourselves. Now, I'm talking about Christians. A lot of folks get this, get this confused. You know, they think about the judgment bar of God and they get the great white throne judgment confused with the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment is for the final condemnation of non-believers. It doesn't have anything at all to do with those that are saved. But the judgment seat of Christ has to do with God's people. It's mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 where he talks about that very thing. And I want you to notice one verse in, in, in particular there. In, in verse number 10, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 10. And he says, For we must all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us may receive things done in the body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, if you, if you look at, at what Paul is saying here, and notice that word we. When you go back to chapter number 1, you'll find that he is writing to the church of God in Corinth. He's writing to the church. He's not writing to the world. He's not speaking about mankind in general. He's speaking about Christian people in particular. And, And notice, when he says we, he's talking about folks that have been saved, folks that have been born again. And he says we must all, not just some of us, but all of us appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then he explains why. To give an account for the deeds done in the flesh, whether they're good or whether they're bad. In other words, this is the place that our rewards are determined. And let me tell you, folks, this this is a serious matter. And that's why I said we need to be holy as a result of the examination that is coming when the Lord comes because we're going to be judged in that day. Not judged in regards to whether we're saved or not, but judged in regards to what we've done with our life. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, it talks about those that build out of hay and wood and stubble, and those that build things, you know, out of silver and gold and the precious stones. Some endure and some don't. And it's just a warning. Don't waste your life. Don't spend your life on things that will, that will not survive the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that's why he says, pass the time of your soul journeying in fear. That's in verse number 17. Now, 
there's a sense, listen carefully, there is a sense in which we as the children of God are being judged right now. A lot of folks got the idea, say, well, and you've heard people say, especially about us Baptists who believe in the security of the believer, you know, and they say, well, if I believe what you Baptists believe, I, I, I just sin all I want to. Well, our answer is what? We do. We sin all we want to and more than we want to. It's not that we want to sin. That's not the idea of it. But we are eternally secure because our salvation doesn't depend upon what we do. It depends on what He did. So, when we sin against the Lord, it has nothing to do with affecting our relationship with God. That doesn't change. We continue to be a child of God, but it has a a big uh, impact on our fellowship with God. And that's why I often say the most miserable people in the world are not unbelievers. They're they're living in spiritual darkness. They don't have have enough spiritual insight to to be afraid. I mean, you know, in their mind, we're just going to live till we die like a dog and go back to the dust of the earth and all be over. And, And it's not going to all be over. The most miserable person in the world is a child of God out of the will of God. And listen... We don't get by with our sins because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 12 that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges every son that he receives. So if you're a child of God, out of the will of God, you you either repent of your sin, you either confess your sin, you either do that or what? Or you get a spanking, chastisement. That's correction. God is correcting us. It's not that God is punishing us. You know, I've heard a lot of Christians talk about, oh, I'd be afraid to do this. I'm afraid God's going to punish me. Oh, no. He's not going to punish you. Jesus took care of that. He suffered the punishment of your sin. It's not a matter of punishment, but God is going to correct you. And by the way, if that doesn't work, and sometimes it doesn't, Sometimes there are people that are truly saved and they're out of the will of God and God chastises them and still they live in stubborn rebellion against God. And that's why John said, and there is a sin unto death. In other words, we finally reach that place that God sees that we're not going to turn away from our sin even when he's made effort to correct us. And God says, all right, I'll just take you home. There's no need in this being here, you know, if, if we're not concerned about the will of God for our life. That's why he said, spend your time sojourning here, notice, in fear. As children of God, we ought to have a healthy fear of God because Charles Spurgeon said many, many, many years ago that God has seen to it that none of his children sin successfully. And that is ever so true. We're not going to get by with it. So, Now, think about how important this is. We ought to desire to live a holy life because of the fact that we are accountable to God, but it needs to go beyond that. We need to get to that place of spiritual growth to where we do what we do out of love for God instead of the fear of God. Now, the reason that is important is because of the fact that then it becomes a matter of a relationship rather than a regulation. In other words, I do what I do because I'm in a right relationship with God, not just because I'm regulated by God 
to do these things out of fear that he's going to punish me. And so that means then we need to get as close to God as we can, as I said this morning, living in close communion with the Lord, loving Him more and more and more. Well, that brings us down to the fourth thing and the last thing I'm going to talk about tonight, the the fourth reason why we need to be holy, and that's because of the emancipation of the cross. Notice what he said again in verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now I want you to give serious thought to that. The Bible tells us that before we were saved, we were slaves. Isn't that an awful thought? The spiritual slaves of Satan, that we're taken captive by him at his will. I don't know about you, but I sure got tired living that way. I mean, I'd had it up to here, as the old saying goes. I didn't want to live that way any longer. I didn't want to be the man that I was. I wanted to be different, but... I couldn't do anything to become different. I could make all of the vain promises I wanted to to Bev. And and, and listen, I was sincere. I meant it with all of my heart. Uh, I I can remember hiding out in the flop house as the sheriff was trying to serve divorce papers on me. And thank God he never found me. I never got the papers. And and finally I got back in town and and went over and talked to Bev and... uh, convinced her to stick with me a while longer, and thank God she did. Uh, But I'm just saying over and over and over again, I promise, you know, I'll I'll quit drinking. I'll be a different person. You know, I, I won't do those things anymore. But for all of the effort I put forth, it was all in vain because I didn't have it within me to do that. And no one does. So we need to remember where we came from. And we were slaves, and now we are what? Now we are the servants of God, the servants of righteousness, Paul says in Romans chapter number 6. We're the servants of righteousness. So we're not only the servants of righteousness, we are the sons of God. And, and so you, you see where I'm going. Words can't even begin to describe what we have as the virtue of what Jesus did for us. We've been forgiven of our sin. We've been delivered from our sin. We've been reconciled to a God who is holy. And all of that is possible, how? Only through the price that Jesus paid on the cross. So because of that, as I said a little while ago, we don't look at holiness as strictly a matter of rules and regulations, but rather we look at it as a love relationship with the one who loved us so much that he was willing to die for us. And that's why loving God is the key to everything, everything. Remember Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. Now, Whenever he said that, whenever he said that, the emphasis there is on the Lord's love for him, not his love for the Lord, 
But keep this in mind. They connect together because, as the Bible says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And so when we focus in on the greatness of his love, remember Romans 5, 8? He loved us in that while we were yet sinners. That drunken man that I was describing for you a while ago, I mean, in that wretched condition, God loved me. He, he, he didn't say, you know, you straighten up and fly right, you know, and I'll accept you. No, he said, I, I love you just like you are. Now, God loved me, but he certainly he couldn't save me until I was willing to accept his son. He wouldn't accept me till I accepted his son. And the moment I accepted his son, he accepted me as his child. So the more that we love him, the less we are attracted to the things of this world. You know, whenever you love your husband or you love your wife and what? You want to please them. Why? Not because you have to. You know, well, we had some prenuptial agreements here that, you know, on the, on the March the 12th of every year, you know, it's going to be a $10,000 bonus. Uh, we, we, we didn't have any kind of an agreement like that whatsoever. And, and, you know, it would soon become meaningless, wouldn't it? It'd be all a matter of formality. All right, here, where's the checkbook? I'll get your stinking check. And, you know, there wouldn't be any joy in the relationship. But when we really love someone, we want to please that person. We want to, you know, be there for that person. We want to do our best to try to meet their deepest need in, in, in their life. And that's exactly what God has done for us. So whenever he says, I want you to be holy, why? Well, because I'm holy. I'm your example. I need to look at that not as something I've got to do, not as something that I must do, but something that I have the privilege of, of, uh, of becoming as a result of being his child. Because listen, I said this morning, you know, all of the resolve in the world is not going to change the way that we live. It's not going to help us get through our struggles. It's not by having the tenacity of a bulldog that we're able to do that. That's not the idea at all. But rather, it's living in dependence upon him. You see, I'm not the change agent. And, and you're not the change agent in your life. It's the Holy Spirit's the one that does the changing. I, I mentioned Second Corinthians uh, chapter three and verse eighteen this morning. As we behold, as in a glass, His image. You know, we're changed from glory unto glory unto glory. And, but notice, there's a phrase there. It says, "As by the Spirit of the Lord." It's the Spirit of God that's changing us. So as you and I increase our love for the Lord, and we ought to be always growing in our love for the Lord. You ought to love Him more today than you did yesterday. Always growing, always abounding in the love of the Lord. And as, as, we, as we grow in our love for God, we grow in our likeness to God. And that's what holiness is all about. It's not just having a list of rules. I remember several years ago we had laws and rules for everything. And, and by the way, I'm not I'm, I'm not saying there shouldn't be any rules and regulation. I, that's not what I'm saying. 
But I'm saying that if you have to control people, you know, just by rules and regulations, uh, the church is never going to be all that it ought to be. Uh, I mean, the only thing that will work is for you and I to have a red, hot, fervent love for God, the kind of love that wants to please Him regardless of what we have to do. So a few weeks ago I preached about... Um, about growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and challenge you to grow in your spiritual maturity in this new year. And this message tonight relates to that because when we talk about growth, we're talking about something far more than just knowing more about the Lord. Because, you know, you can look back over the past year and say, well, I've memorized 50 different verses of the Bible. And I know a lot more about God than I did at the beginning of last year. And all of that might be true, but it doesn't mean that you are one bit more like God. And all of those things would be well and good. But it's only holiness that makes us more like the Lord. So when we talk about growing, it's not just a matter of us growing in our knowledge. It's not just a matter of us growing in our abilities. Tim sang that song this morning, and if, you, if you'd heard Tim sing ten years ago, you'd have said, this is a miracle. He couldn't sing. Son, I love you with all of my heart, but you couldn't sing like that ten years ago, son. Could he, Mom? Help me out here, baby. I, I, dug, a, I dug a hole here I don't know how I'm going to get out of. But most everybody, you know, if you work hard, you can, you can, you can get better at whatever it is that you do, really. There, I, there's some exceptions to that. I, you, know, you know all about me trying to learn to play the guitar, so I won't go into that. So there's some exceptions to that. Practice doesn't do some of us any good, but most of you get better, you know. But what I'm saying is when I talk about spiritual growth, it's not just increasing your knowledge, not just increasing your ability. It's all about being more like Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what holiness is. Be ye holy. Why? Because I'm holy. And we sing that little chorus. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. All I ask. To be like Him. All through life's journey, from earth to glory, all I ask to be like Him. Oh, I pray tonight that we each one leave here with that burning desire to be more like our blessed Savior. Let's stand together. This is the invitation, and Tim, you can come ahead and sing if you would, but you don't have to wait on him, and, and you, you don't have to come and say a word to me. It might be you want to kneel right where you're at, or maybe you want to come and kneel here somewhere, just get someplace alone where you won't be disturbed and do business with God. Father, tonight, speak to our hearts and challenge us. And, Lord, tonight we come realizing that we're not anywhere near all that we should be, and realizing tonight that we could be so much more than what we are. 
And, and Lord, I pray you'll just give us a, and help us to have a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. Lord, help us to, de- to desire it even more than we desire our daily bread, more than we desire silver and gold. Just help us to have that desire to be more and more like our blessed Savior. And Lord, tonight we just pray that you'll speak to hearts and that this will be the beginning of changed lives and that we might leave here determined by the grace of God that we'll be all that, uh, that you would have us to be. Lord, we don't deserve anything tonight. You'd be perfectly justified if you closed your ears and denied every request that we make. But because of your grace, we feel comfortable in coming before your throne and laying all of this out and praying that you'll help us to become the people you want us to be. For we beg it in Jesus' name. While we 